Section 5 of Solario the Tailor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kualada. Solario the Tailor by William Bowen. Section 5 The Son of the Tailor of U. Part 2. The three blind ballad singers once more. They began to sing at the top of their voices. I started in surprise. It was the three blind ballad singers. Ooh, 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 they sang. She wanted to marry us all, she said, but that wouldn't do. No, never. No, never. No, never. No, no. From suitors, a dozen, not counting a cousin, and two or three uncles also. She freely and frankly, firmly and fairly, flatly and finally fled. For never a one could sing, not one, not a line, not a note, not a thing, not one. And she, she said, if she must be wed, a singer should have, or she'd have none. For really she'd almost rather be dead, if she couldn't be uninterruptly fed, on an endless tonic of scales harmonic in every possible key an infinite series never finished of chords with all the sevens diminished and all the intervals less than minor surely nothing could be diviner nothing nothing at all said she and after breakfast a quaver hamey and after dinner a quaver damey and after supper a quaver samey and in between for ever and ever every possible kind of shape the fact of the matter is you see she'd made up her mind beyond mistake to offer her hand to one of we but which should it be which one of three and what of the two who would have to go what about them she said that's it she didn't approve the idea a bit those other two she could never forget to think of them out in the cold and wet just think of the terrible terrible woe she wanted to marry and yet and yet she'd never be happy no never no never no never no no silence fool said babadak laughing we are about to listen to a tale a tale from bowderdash the peddler will you proceed now excellent peddler willingly said i at the sound of my voice, the three blind men cried out, Aha! and broke into a fresh song. The peddler and the peddler's maid, oh fair as milk was she, and she promised on her honour she would marry one of three. Silence, rascals, said Bobadak. I was becoming, all this while, more and more restless, for I had no doubt that all this talk of marriage has reference to my own daughter. I wondered bitterly what mischief she had been up to during my absence. This rascal, said Babadak, still laughing, sometimes I am minded to put them to death. I don't really know why I let them live. Now then, excellent one, let us hear the tale. I bowed, and while the repast proceed, the three ballad singers remained standing behind our chairs. I related to Babadak as follows. The story of Nobat Baudadash the peddler. 
in the course of my wanderings, I began. I arrived one day at a spring in the wilderness, beside which were encamped a company of... I think, said Sir Ariel, interrupting himself, that I cannot conscientiously repeat this story, because... Oh, please, said Beaujon, we'd like to hear it. No, said Solario, I couldn't conscientiously, because there's not a word of truth in the story, and I do not wish to tell anything which is not strictly true. During my tale, said the prince, I pretended now and then to take a sip of wine, and to grow drowsy, so that toward the end I seemed to have difficulty in keeping awake. When I had concluded, Babadak laughed and said, I thank you, peddler. Never in my life have I heard such a tissue of, er, uh, amusing facts. Some more wine, peddler. I pretended to sip the wine again, and let my head fall forward on my breast, and roused myself as if with a great effort. I am something, said Babadak appearing to take no notice of my drowsiness, of a tale of tales myself. I will tell you in return a story, and when I have finished, you shall tell me another, if you know any, as you undoubtedly do. Thereupon he commenced a long and detailed story, and I could see that as he proceeded he was watching me from the corner of his eye. He had not spun out his tale very far, when my eyes closed and my head nodded, and after an apparent effort to arouse myself, I let my head fall forward on the table and lie there motionless. Babadak instantly stopped, raised my head gently, and laying it back against my chair, shook me roughly, but with no effect. Send in the accursed dogs, said he in a fierce whisper. I was aware, in a moment, that the aged tailors were standing around me. The eyebrows, said Babadak, and the tailors bent over me and began to pluck at my eyebrows with instruments of some sort. Oh, father, father, said Fickley, please don't. Be still, my son, said Babadak. The magic doublet protects the prince against the knitters of eyebrows and against Gug the spider. I laughed inwardly, for I was sure that, under the protection of my doublet, my eyebrows would reappear as fast as they could be plucked out, and indeed, from the snort of rage given by Babadak, I soon knew that my eyebrows were safe. I could hear the eight tailors whispering together, as if in dismay. Oh, said Babadag in the same angry whisper, sting me this false peddler. No, no, father, said Figley, not that, oh, please. I shivered a little, for I confessed that the thought of the spider was horrifying to me. I waited anxiously, not daring to open my eyelids even a trifle. I assure you that it was all I could do to remain still. There was silence, and in the midst of it I felt a tickling on my left cheek, and then a kind of pinprick there, and I knew that spider had stung me. Back, Gugh, said Babadab. Now, false peddler that you are, be no longer either a prince or a peddler, but a spider, a black spider, 
and take your place with Gugh in the web. Change! I felt no change, and I heard another snort of rage from Babadag. Some charm, he muttered. Some charm protects him. Let us see what charm this lying stranger carries upon him. I felt that my smock was being lifted from my breast, and I heard a kind of grasp from Babadag. The doublet, he said, it is plain. Off with the doublet. And immediately fingers were at my breast, trying to unbutton the doublet. But they could not unbutton it. Not a button would come through its hole. Fetch me a pair of cheers, rascals, said Babadag and in a moment I knew that shears were snapping away at my doublet, but it was no use. The blade would not cut, neither the thread of the buttons nor the cloth. They held like iron at every point. I heard the shears drop to the floor. The shears of sharpness! Bring me the shears of sharpness, said Babadag. Nothing else will cut this doublet. I heard a chuckle, and the voice of one of the ballad singers said, The shears of sharpness, brothers! And there was another chuckle. What? said Babadar. You laugh, rascals! You dare to laugh! The shears of sharpness! said the voice of one of the ballad singers. Where are the shears of sharpness, brother? And at this there was a very considerable tittering. Ask the fair lady, brother, said the voice of another of the ballad singers. She knows the wonderful lady, said the voice of the third. Inevitable scoundrels, said Babadag, have you stolen my shears? No, no, only borrowed them. What harm in that, said the ballad singers. Return them to me at once, said Babadag. I could hear the ballad singers chuckling together again. We would, we would, said one of them. We meant to, but... But what, beast? She has them, said one of the three. The most wonderful of women, said another. She who swore she would marry one of us, said the third. The prince's daughter has beguiled the shears of sharpness from the ballad singers. My daughter, my own daughter, she had beguiled the shears from these foolish vagabonds, or had they let her have the shears for some purpose of their own, to help their brother, say? I was quite bewildered. Oh, that I should let such grandels live, said Babadak fiercely. Where is this woman? But she wouldn't marry us unless we give her the shears said one of the ballad singers. No harm in that. No harm in that, surely, said the other two. Where is this woman? said Babadak again. We left her, said one of the others, by the dry fountain at the governor's palace. Accursed, said Babadak, evidently addressing the eight tellers. Pick up this peddler and follow me. We must find the shears. You, imbeciles that you are, I will deal with you afterward. Gook, back to your web. I could not see what became of Gook, but I knew that the eight tailors were lifting me from my chair, and I felt myself being borne away. 
father!" cried Wiggily. "You mustn't! Please let the poor man go! Oh, please!" "My son," said Babadag in the voice of tenderness with which he always addressed his son, "he is my enemy. I must have him in my power. A cursed doublet!" A light flickers in the dark shop. In a moment, I was aware that we were in the street, and I opened my eyelids a trifle. The moon was shining. I saw Babadak starting on before, with the three ballad singers at his back. Behind, the eight tailors were holding me in a sitting posture between them. I could see the shop door without moving my head, and as we started, I beheld Figley coming from the door in the act of stowing away something. I could not see what. In the bosom of his shirt, the shop was dark. But as Figley closed the door behind him, I noticed, flickering from within, a tiny flame of light, which had not been there before. I remarked that the boy's face was very pale in the moonlight. We came, after a long journey through deserted streets, to the little hill which led up to the governor's palace. We entered the ruined park. And crossed it to the mansion. Babadak opened the door, and the company paused inside, listening. All was silent. I had an impulse to shout in order to warn my daughter, but I knew that that would be fatal, and I continued to lie inert and speechless in the arms of the tailors. I risked opening my eyes from time to time, and I saw that Babadak was leading the way from room to room, all dark. Except for the moonlight here and there upon the floors, and that he came at last, followed by all the others, into the court of the dry fountain, and there the eight tailors laid me down on the ground. My heart almost stopped beating, for fear that my daughter should be there. Vile rascals," said Babadag. "You have deceived me. There is no woman here." Astonishing," said one of the ballad singers. "Not here. Who would have thought it?" "I doubt that she was ever here," said Babadag. "Wait." I saw him go off down the alley of cypress trees towards the cobweb room, no doubt to assure himself that his prisoner was safe, or else to seek the woman there. As soon as he was gone, I felt a hand on my arm. And the voice of Figley whispered in my ear, "Are you awake?" And I pressed his hand in answer. The prince's daughter is gone, and the prince makes a dash for liberty. The eight tailors who were sitting on the rim of the fountain's basin, mopping their foreheads and panting, and the blind men were standing near them. I measured with my eye the distance to the door from which I had come, and gave a sudden spring toward it, which carried me nearly there. And I was off and away before the eight tailors realized what had happened. I scored swiftly and silently through the dark rooms in all directions, listening now and then for sounds of pursuit, but I heard nothing. And I began to whisper my daughter's name from time to time. In a room far distant from the court to which I presently came, I found a door at the opposite side closed, which in that house of open doors struck me as being odd. 
A broad band of moonlight lay across the floor, and in the dim light I could see the furnishings of a kitchen. I approached the opposite door and opened it cautiously, thinking to go through, but I looked into a cupboard hung with pots and pans, and there on the floor of the cupboard was sitting my daughter, calmly eating a fig. She looked up at me with a merry laugh and sprang to her feet. There are very good figs in the park, said she. Will you have one of these? No, you have been gone a long time. I heard some people going through the house, and I thought I had better wait in here. I'm going to be married. Beauty in tatters, said Babadaka Taylor. Come, said I, we have no time for jesting. But it is the best joke, said my daughter. When I think how I play on those half-wits, I've never had such sport in my life. I promised to marry one of them if they choose which. Do you remember the three ballad singers? Do you have the shears of sharpness? said I. How do you know that? said she. They are simply mad, and I wouldn't promise them anything unless they gave me the shears. And they did, and I promised. And now you've got to get me out of it. Here are the shears. Take them. I suspect, my dear, said I, taking the shears from her, that these three imbeciles meant that you should have the shears all the time, and they've been making a bit of a fool of you. But there's no time for talking. Hurry! I stepped quickly toward the door, and as I reached it, it was blocked by a huge dark figure. It was Babadak. Not so fast, peddler," said he, and then he saw my daughter, who was standing in the band of moonlight, most fairy-like and beautiful. He brushed past me and stopped before her, gazing at her in astonishment and admiration. Beauty in tatters," he said. "No wonder that even blind men are conquered. You make me forget the shears. Surely there's no woman in Ugh so beautiful." Will you look on me kindly? I am powerful, and I offer you a share of my power. It is Babadak who speaks. He held out his hand to her, and she shrank away in horror. No, no! She screamed. Father. Babadak turned swiftly, and at that moment I sprang upon him. But the old man snatched forth a knife, and as I caught and held the arm which was lifted to strike. A small dark figure darted in from the doorway and flung something over the old man's neck from behind. Babadak the tailor is conquered by his little son. The knife dropped from Babadak's hand. He swayed, tottered, collapsed, and fell full length on the floor, and lay motionless on his back in the strip of moonlight. The little dark figure knelt beside him. It was Figly. Oh, father! Oh, father! He cried, "I'm sorry, sorry! I had to do it. I couldn't let you kill him. It can't go on any longer. The eyebrows must be cut, father. It's only to make you like the otters. We'll both be happier. Oh, indeed, we will. It's only because I love you, father. I didn't think you would have done this, Figly, my son." Said the old man gently, "You have put me in the power of my enemy, 
Ah, Figly, my son, my son. I know it, I know it, sobbed the boy. But the lady will give the shears to me, and I will cut the eyebrows myself with my own hand. The peddler will do you no harm. You'll be glad, father, afterward. Indeed, you will. Ah, my son, my son, I wouldn't have thought it of you," said the old man, still gently. I knelt beside him and found around his neck a noose of the slenderest thread, extremely tough. And the end of this thread the boy was holding in his hand. I took it from him and looked at him inquiringly. Yes," said the boy. "It was spun by Gug the Spider, and there is no wheel can stand against it. Not even my father's. Is the thing that made him first able to pluck out the eyebrows of the people. I stole it as we left the shop tonight. You won't do him any harm, will you? I stood up, keeping the end of the thread in my hand. A patter of running feet sounded from the next room, and the eight tailors crowded in at the doorway. They rushed to their master and wailed and wrung their hands. One of them drew a pair of shears and began to snip away at the thread, but it was plain that no ordinary blade would cut it, and the tailor gave it up, and the other seven wailed louder than before. "Lift up this knave," I said, "and follow me." The eight tailors obeyed instantly, and our party started back to the court of the dry fountain. I walked beside the body of Babada, keeping close hold of the thread. When we reached the court, the three ballad singers were sitting calmly on the rim of the basin, singing softly to themselves. My daughter, ever incorrigible, greeted them with an amused laugh, and they crowded around her, each trying to elbow the others out of the way. At my command, the eight tailors laid Babadak down on his back in the dry basin. I then gave the end of the thread into the hand of my daughter and left them. I ran down the cypress alley to the deserted audience chamber. I looked through the cobweb at Urban, and by the dim light of the high window saw him sitting there motionless as stone, in the same attitude as before. I am here, I cried, but he neither moved nor spoke. I applied the shears, and in a moment the cobweb was hanging in shreds, and I was standing beside my friend. I tried to pull him up, but I could not budge him. I lifted the golden chain from around his neck and dropped it to the floor. Immediately, he raised his head, stretched his arms, looked up at me as if awaking from a dream, and sprang to his feet. Prince, he cried, and threw his arms about me in a transport of joy. I calmed him, and when he had recovered himself, he said, "What of Babadak?" Here is in the court at this moment," said I, bound fast. "Good news, indeed," he cried. "Let us go." The governor, being released, beholds the prince's daughter. We sped back to the court, and when Urban beheld my daughter, he scattered the blind men right and left, and clasped her hand in his. I took from her the end of the thread and knelt in the basin beside the huge body of Babadak, and gazed down into his eyes, glittering up at me in the moonlight through their tangle of hair. I drew the shears, 
"No, no!" cried the boy. "You must not. Give me the shears. I must do it, for you do not love him, and I do. Only the hand of love. Give me the shears." "No time for talking!" I cried. "This is no child's play. Work for a man, and I trust no one but myself. Now for the shearing of the eyebrow." The boy shrieked as if in despair, and with a mighty snap of the shears, I cut in among the hairs of Babadag's left eyebrow. The shearing of the eyebrow. A spout of yellow smoke shot upward from his eyebrow and whirled and spread outward in a cloud, thick, sickening, blinding, pierced with wiggling pencils of light. As if tiny snakes has been set riotously free, it covers us both so that he was suddenly hidden from my sight. I gasped and choked; my eyes smarted with pain. I snapped blindly away at him through the smoke with my shears, resolved not to be foiled. There was a sharp clack, as of the snapping of a whip. The shears had cut. Alas! Alas! Not the eyebrow, but the thread around Babadag's neck. Instantly, the shears were wrenched from my hand. I did not know how, and I felt them ripping through my smock. And I knew that some injury has been done to my doublet. A terrible voice bellowed, "Hither, accursed dogs, and bind me this prattler!" And the next moment, I was lying on my back with the thread fastened securely about my neck. And my strength was suddenly gone, and the smoke began to clear away. I saw the old man put his arm tenderly about his son, and heard him say, "It's all right now, my boy. I am not angry. You have put your father in great danger, but not from malice. I know it well. Don't be grieved. We'll laugh about it together hereafter. All's well again. Come, Figley, my son." Rascals, follow me. He stalked away with his son down the cypress alley, and the eight tailors lifted me and bore me after, followed by my daughter and my friend. I looked for the three blind ballad singers, but they were gone. I was in terrible danger, and I bitterly regretted my haste in refusing the shears to the boy. The prince before the seat of judgment. In the circular audience chamber, they laid me down upon the floor. Babadab, grotesque and somber in the darkness, seated himself in the marble armchair on the dais, and at the same time I heard, or fancied I heard, the voices of the ballad singers, afar off somewhere in the palace, singing away at one of their songs. Pluck out the hairs," said Babadag. "No, no," said Figley, lying on the step of the dais at his father's feet. "Quick, scoundrels!" said Babadag, and the eight tailors, kneeling around me, plucked out with tiny instruments all the hairs of my eyebrows by the roots. Then, at a sign from their master, they stood me on my feet and removed the spider's dress from around my neck. My strength returned. And I found myself able to stand alone. Gone is your power, maker of fables," said Babadag. "The doublet is worthless. See," and he held up what appeared to be the thread of a button. 
my smock was in stripes and the doublet was exposed to view one button was missing what had become of it babadak exhibited only the thread dog of a peddler said he it is your due that i give you to cook the spider for his web spare him spare him said quickly in a kind of moan rocking himself back and forth on the step of the dais but babadal is merciful went on the old man and loves a tale and never have i heard so amusing a tissue of lies as that tale of balderdash the peddler for that and for the pleasure i shall have in repeating that tale hereafter i spare you you are harmless go and as you have chosen to darken your skin with juices let it be darker still go and be you henceforth as black as night i will lead you to the palace gate and sped you with your daughter and your friend on your journey away from u return no more peddler for this web awaits you and cook the spider longs for a brother he stepped down from his seat and we otters followed him in silence i was conscious of no will to resist him further we came to the court of the dry fountain and there my daughter looked into my face in the moonlight she screamed we followed mournfully through the dark rooms and came out on the steps before the palace and there we saw a sight both terrible and beautiful the doom of the city of ur the city was in flames from every roof as far as we could see rose sheets of fire and sparks showered upward into a pall of black smoke and as we watched new tongues of flame blazed up from quarters dark before the city was doomed ah said babadak with a groan my city my city what have i done what have i done cried fickly wringing his hands in anguish you my son what have you to do with this said his father never taking his eyes from the burning city it's my work cried the boy but i never dreamed of this i set fire to the shop our shop before i left to burn up all the back secrets in my father's house and to kill gook the spider to kill him kill him so that he would never get the blind bowler nor anyone else so that all the old riches and wickedness might be burned up forever and now and now i haven't destroyed the eyebrow and i've burnt up the city oh what shall i do what shall i do my son my son said babadak quietly never taking his eyes from the burning city i recalled now the spark of fire i had seen through the window as we had left the tailor's shop that night the flames of the furnace below us shot higher and higher and spread wider and wider in every direction the book of the shaven magic said babada as if to himself that must be saved he ran down the steps and started across the park father father where are you going cried prickly but his father paid no attention the boy sped after him and we otters followed
The tailor's son follows him into the burning city. Out at the park gate and down the hill ran Babada, and straight into the blazing ruin which was once his city. Nothing could stop him. Flames roared on both sides of him. Sparks showered around him. Walls toppled behind him. Smoke swallowed him, but he kept on. We paused in terror. Only his little boy continued to follow him, calling to him to come back. A wall of flame shot out behind the running boy, and a house fell clashing behind him into the street, and father and boy were no longer to be seen. I turned away, and leaving the eight tailors wailing, I made my way with my daughter and my friend back to the palace, and there, on the palace steps, we sat all night long, watching the great fire burn itself out. The sun rose on a city of smoking ruins, and with its first rays, there came plodding in through the park gate, a blind man who called aloud as he reached the steps. It was the blind bowler. I am here," said I, "Vigli's friend and my daughter too, and the governor whom once you tried to help. What news? Ten strikes still lacking," said the blind bowler. But it makes no difference now. Vigli has saved me, and all the rest of us too. Come with me. He led us out into the street and down into the city. Where the homeless people were standing as if bewildered, we came into the street where once had been the shop of Babadak the tailor. It was there no longer, but by some chance there yet remained the wall which held the doorway, and above it the yardstick and the shears, and across the sill lay Frigley on his face. The boy is found on the sill of his ruined home, alive. My daughter ran to him, and put her arm around him. He was alive, and he shook his head and moaned, "I want my father. I want my father." "Yes," said she. "Your father is he?" "In there," he whispered. "Ah, he is under the wall. I saw it fall on him. He's in there." "Oh, my poor boy." I killed him, and all I wanted was to make him good. She put her arm under him and raised him, and he stood up. Come with me, dear boy," said she. "I can't go away. I can't leave him in there. Can't you help me to see him? Not now, but later, perhaps. Come with me now, and we will talk of him together. He loved me too. He did, didn't he? And I killed him. Yes, he did. He did. But you mustn't say that you. It was because I meant to harm him, was it? I wouldn't have harmed him, would I? No, no. It was just because you loved him. That was all. Yes, that was it. That was always was. He suffered her to lead him away, and he said nothing more, but repeated to himself once or twice, "That was all it was." On my part, I spoke at length to the blind bowler and gave him many directions, and he, having received at my hands a purse of gold, 
for use as I had instructed him, went his way, and we otters then walked slowly back to the palace, where we rested on the steps, waiting, and quickly fell asleep with his head on my daughter's shoulder. When the sun was high in the east, people began to come in the park gate, and the blind bowler, his first duty done, joined us on the palace steps. More people came, and the park began to be filled with them. They came before long in a steady stream, and at length the park was crowded with great multitude, from the steps to the gate. At a signal from myself, my party on the steps rose, and I addressed the people of Wu. I told him who I was, and how my skin had come to be black. I told them that I was going away, and that their governor was resolved to go with me, that I meant to leave the governor who would help them rebuild their city, and lead them in ways of goodness and mercy, that the person whom I had selected for that office was the boy known as Fugli Babada, whose soundness of heart was wrought to them more than the wisdom of years, and that such wisdom as was necessary would be supplied by him who was called the blind bowler, a man who had known how to be cheerful under affliction, and I asked them to say whether they would have the boy Figley for their governor and the blind bowler for his aid. A shout of approval went up from the multitude. And will you? said I, turning to Figley, lead these people in the ways of goodness and mercy, and help them to forget. If you think I can, said Figley, standing up very straight, I will try. And will you, said I to the blind bowler, keep faithfully at his right hand and never fail him? That I will, said the blind bowler, Keep everlastingly at it. That's the motto. The great king, my father, said I, turning again to the people, will build your cities ten times fairer than it was. I have given directions for your help already, and food and shelter will soon be at hand. Farewell, I leave you in the care of a blind man and a child. A sound heart and a cheerful mind, my friends, are better than an army. Farewell. The multitude shouted back farewell, and my friend Urban and myself each kissed Fickley on the cheek, but my daughter kissed him on both cheeks and hugged him to her heart, and then we went down the steps, leaving the pale and beautiful boy and the blind man alone, and passed out across the park, through a lane opened in the crowd, down into the city toward the city gate. The eight tailors stand before them in a row. As we came to the last street corner before reaching the city wall, my daughter pulled forth a handful of figs from her pocket and divided them laughingly with Urban and myself. And at that moment a party of eight men filed solemnly from around the corner and came to a stop before us in a row. It was the eight tailors. They bowed gravely, and the first one of them said, Excellency, we implore you to take pity upon us. Our master is gone. Our occupation is gone. We are friendless and alone. We can live no longer in the city of Uch. What do you wish me to do? said I. We beseech you to take us with you, 
to be your servant, your slave, anything. We can sew, we can knit, we can. But I am going into exile," said I. "I am going to hide my hideous face from the eyes of the world." Listen, most merciful one. It is known to us that the missing button needs only to be sewn on a doublet by a tailor, with the proper thread, in order that your skin may be white again. Nine tailors are allowed for the trail, and here are eight. But I have neither the button nor the thread. No matter. We will search until we find them, or else turn back ourselves in the trail. Have pity upon us, prince. Oh, father," said my daughter, "do let the poor things come along with us." Very well," said I. Whereupon we walked on, and the eight tailors gave a faint cheer and fell into line behind us. They meet the three blind ballad singers for the last time. As we passed through the city gate, a loud singing struck up just outside the wall, and we beheld the three blind ballad singers in the midst of a dozen idlers, prancing up and down in their ridiculous dance. They were shouting out one of their ballads as follows. The peddler came. The peddler went. The peddler lost his pack. He came in honest walnut brown. He went away in black. And oh, said the peddler, I cannot come again, for out of buttons ten, oh, only nine remain, only nine remain. My daughter laughed aloud, and at the sound of her voice, one of the ballad singers cried out, "Ho, master, blackface, ballads or buttons? What will you buy?" The idlers laughed. And the other two vagabonds sang out, "Ballad or buttons, by Master Blackface, ballads or buttons." What will you give for a button? Shouted the first, and he held up in my view a large ivory button, the identical one beyond a doubt, which was missing from the doublet. A fig for a button, I said, and held out one of the figs in my hand. A button for a fig, a bargain! cried the first ballad singer, and taking the fig from me, placed the button in my hand. The idlers laughed at this nonsense, and we turned to go. Farewell, farewell! cried the first ballad singer. What do we say to the breaker of hearts who forget her promise to marry? The other two laughed and began to sing. We moved on down the road. Followed by the tailors marching by force, and as we departed, we heard behind us the voices of the blind ballad singers for the last time, shouting out a song in this wise. She said that she wanted to marry all three, fiddle dee dee, fiddle dee dee, and it broke her heart that it could not be. But oh, said she, you must all agree, on one who shall be the fortunate he, for only one I can marry. But oh, she would not wait to see, and oh, she would not tarry, for all that she said to the atlas tree was nothing but fiddle dee dee. Ah me, was nothing but fiddle dee dee. End of section five. The son of the tailor of Ur, part two. Recorded by Falada.